Good evening. Welcome to WCF. So good to see each one of you. All of you that are joining us online, we're so glad that you're with us this evening. Welcome. First, Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Well, you came to the right place if you need mercy, if you need comfort. And so I invite you this, this evening as we worship him and as we dig into his word that you would draw near to our Father God this evening and allow his comfort to just come over you. Um, maybe things are going great. Maybe things aren't wherever you're at this week. Um, just allow God to draw close to you and speak to you and comfort you because he's a faithful God and he's always with us. Let's stand and worship him this evening. Great is your faithfulness, great is your faithfulness, you never change, you never fail, oh God, true are your promises, true are your promises, you never change, you never fail, oh God. One who was and is and is to 
Make your praise glorious. So we thank you how, as we come into your presence, your comfort, your mercy, and your grace around us will remind you of who you are, what you've done, what a good God you are. Not only are you a good God, but you are a great God. We thank you for all that you do for us. your prayer this evening. May what I behold steal my anxious heart. Take what I have known and break it all apart. You, my God, are greater still. And no sky contains no Restraints of you are the greatness of our God. I spent my life to know, and I'm far from close to all you are. The greatness of our God. Give me grace to see beyond the moment here. To believe that there is nothing left to fear And that you alone are high above it all You, my God, are greater still And no eye contains, no doubt restrains all you are the greatness of our God. I spend my life to know, and I'm far from close to all you are. The greatness of our God. And there is nothing that could ever separate us. There is nothing that could ever separate us from your love. No life, no death, of this I am convinced that you, my God, are greater still. There is nothing that could ever separate us. There is nothing that could ever separate us from your love. No life, no death. Of this I am convinced that you, my God, are greater still. And no words could say or song convey all you are. The greatness of our God I spent my life to know And I'm far from close to all you are The greatness of our God And no sky contains No doubt restrains all you are The 
greatness of our God. I spend my life to know that I am far from close to what you are. The greatness of our God, all you are. The greatness of our God. Let's sing again. There's nothing that could ever separate us. There is nothing. That could ever separate us. There is nothing that could ever separate us from your love. No life, no death. Of this I am convinced that you are God. A greater still. Story of reading. 
redemption written on His hands. Jesus, You will reign forevermore. The victory is Yours. We sing Your praise. Endless hallelujahs to Your holy name. Jesus, You will reign
light of the world forever You are more, you are more than my words will ever say. You are Lord, you are Lord, all creation will proclaim. You are here, you are here, in your presence I may hold. You are God, you are God, of all else I let go. To your arms, the riches of your love will always be enough. Nothing compares to your embrace, light of the world forever. My heart will sing no other name, Jesus, Jesus. My heart will sing no other name, Jesus, Jesus. My heart will sing. No other name, Jesus, Jesus, my heart will sing, no other name, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, as we are here in your presence, these songs have been our heart cry this evening. That we truly want to know more of who you are. And may we continue on that lifelong journey of finding out how great you truly are. And Jesus, we will sing your name because we are reminded how good you are, how loving you are, how kind you are, that you are God, and that you freely gave yourself and put yourself in our place so that we could have a relationship with the Almighty God. So we worship you tonight. Tonight we run into your arms because you are our Savior, our Lord, our God. Oh, I'm running to your arms. I'm running to your arms. The riches of your love will always be enough. Nothing compares. To your embrace, light of the world forever. 
Amen. You may be seated. Good evening. It's a privilege to be here and study the Word of God. We're going to finish out Luke today, or tonight. So Luke 23 and 24, you can turn to that. Before we get into the text, I want to make a few comments about Ukraine and then have a prayer for the people there. Charlotte and I spent the month of October there between 19 or 2003 and 2015, so we spent 13 Octobers in Ukraine. I taught in a small Bible school in uh, the eastern part of Kiev. It's called Levo Berezhnia, left side of the river is what that means. And uh, the Bible school is associated with a church called, appropriately, the Word of God Church. The Word of God Church uh, had the goal of teaching the Word of God. You say, well, why is that so unusual? <laughs> well, in churches today, it's unusual. A lot of churches do not teach the Word of God verse by verse like we have it here. And it's a privilege to attend a church where it's taught. But I want to just mention um, four men who were students of mine, um, are now pastors in Ukraine. Uh, the first one is, um, well, there was an American that started the Word of God Church, and then he turned over the pastorship a few years ago to a young man who had been the student in his school and graduated and was active in ministry. His name is Oleg. And um, last Sunday, they had the most people attend their church that they had ever had in the history of the church. Uh, the Sunday before, they, they couldn't have church because there was martial law. They couldn't go out on the streets, but they could last Sunday. And uh, it was just a blessed time. Uh, the, the second pastor I want to mention is uh, Oleg. Oleg is in a town about 70 miles west of Kiev. It's called Zhitomer. We've been in his home, been in his church. Uh, he sent me a picture of him standing out in front of the church Sunday with the snow coming down. It was about 25 degrees. And then some uh, scene of the church. It was full of people. Everybody was standing up. They had no heat, so they were all wrapped up in coats. Uh, there was a guy playing a guitar just like we see here. They had a screen just like here. They were singing songs in Ukrainian. And then... Uh, he preached, and uh, they had a blessed time together, singing and praying and crying. And uh, they, they don't know what they're going to do. Um, about half of the church has already left for the western part or for Poland. Some have gone into Poland. Some have gone into Romania. And then the other, uh, the third one is a guy, Victor. He is in the town of uh, Urban. It's north of Urpin. It's north of Kiev, about 15 miles. Um, he he left uh, before the heavy shelling started of that town uh, before Sunday, and it was it's just decimated. You may have seen pictures of it on the uh, newsreels, but. Um, 
an unbeliever who he's been working with for some time volunteered to give him, his wife, and four children a ride to western Ukraine. Um, he had been given the gospel to him. By the time they got to Lviv, is where they were going, he had trusted Christ. And uh, it was really neat. Um, and then the fourth one is a pastor who happens to be the uncle of this victor. A pastor in a church in, in uh, Lviv. And they've got, they're set up, they've got all kinds of refugees in their church. They've got rooms with, um, where they, they're sleeping, they've got a room where they do cooking. Uh, when they want to have a service, they fold all of the mattresses up against the walls and they have their service. Uh, but uh, he has a great ministry there just helping refugees. So um, I know you don't know these people, but... Uh, there's a lot of other fellow believers there uh, in the same body of Christ as us, and they ask for prayer. Uh, so I, I'd like to pray for them, and you can pray along with me. Our Heavenly Father, um, these people in Ukraine are so thankful for your word and for faith, and they can stand strong, and they are standing strong. Father, we thank you for that. We pray that they'll continue to trust in you that they'll come under your wings, Father, and, and they know that you're always there to take care of them. But they've asked for prayer, for food, so we pray for that. For medicine, we pray for that. For safety and getting around, Father, we pray for that. And for um, the, the ability to witness, Father, they asked for that. And so we pray for that, that they would be wise, that they would be um, tender and loving and, Father, just uh, give your gospel to these people that need it badly. And, Father, uh, we also pray for those that are trying to get out of the country. Um, I think things are probably going to go from bad to worse. But, Father, we pray that, that they can get out. And, Father, for those that have to stay, we just pray that they can just rest in you. Easy to say, but hard to do. Uh, but, Father, they have great faith, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Luke chapters 23 and 24. Whenever you are teaching a passage, I always wish that Kerry would say, he always tells me where to start, and he never tells me where to end. And that, that's a problem, because uh, what do you do? How far do you go? And uh, I thought, well, maybe I'll, I'll go back into the other Gospels and cover all the, the trials. But um, I thought, no, I think better to just stick with the text. There's a reason why there are four Gospels. Uh, they cover different aspects of the person of Jesus Christ. And if you start melding it all together, you, I think... If, if it were to be melted together, God would have melted it together, wouldn't he? Uh, he could have done that. But no, he has four separate ones. So let's, let's take it the way it's written. And I think it'll be a, a lot more productive doing it that way. Uh, so what I'd like to do is uh, go through these two chapters. And it covers the subject that Paul says is the most important um, thing in the Bible. So um, that's 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. 
And we'll get it up here. And Paul says, for I delivered to you as of first importance. And I take that literally. Paul says, I deliver to you as what is of first importance. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins, or that he died for our sins according to the scripture. That he died and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And so this is really the gospel uh, of first importance. And that's what Luke covers in chapters 23 and 24. So I want to go through that. And last week, I I usually teach Awana uh, to about six, nine-year-olds. And that's a lot more scary than teaching you guys. Uh, So so this this is a piece of cake up here. Uh, But our verse last week was Romans 5.19. And uh, I always start the class by saying, okay, I want you to look at the verse that we're memorizing, and I'm going to say it, and you see if you can find any mistakes in what I say. And I have yet to make it the first time. Last time I got it, but it took me three tries, and they have... They, they just really enjoy finding me make mistakes. But this Romans 5.19 says, For as through one man's disobedience, of course that's Adam, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. And so it's this death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ of first importance through which Uh, the many can be made righteous. And we all came to Christ the same way, right? We trusted Jesus Christ for eternal life, and he gave us Christ's righteousness. And so this whole idea of obedience is, is volition. When God created man, he said that we were created in the image and likeness of God. And so our immaterial part, not our, not our material part, not the part we can see, but the immaterial part, mind, um, and so forth, one of those is volition, the ability to choose. This is so important. God gave us the ability to choose, and he always honors choice, whether we make it bad, bad choice or a good choice. And we'll see in this text uh, there are both there are good choices and there are bad choices, but um, it, it's so important volition. And uh, one way that I was taught to think about it is teach to think about positive volition, positive choices uh, about things God gives us, and negative volition, negative choices, and that that comes to us all the time. So uh, when in the garden God gave Adam and Eve. A choice, didn't he? He gave him a test, and he said, and it wasn't a hard test. He said, you can eat of any tree of the garden except one, <laughs> tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, so what happens? Well, Satan comes along. Satan is the great master of spin and lying. And so he'll take God's word and he'll spin it. And so he says, did God say? And he deceived Eve. Adam comes along, 
Eve ate of the fruit. Adam comes along. He eats of the fruit. But he does it with eyes wide open. He made a choice. He made a negative choice. He said, no, I am going to eat of the fruit. It looks good. I'm sure it'll taste good. And it'll help me to know something. Well, he, he did get to know the difference between good and evil. And that, that didn't do him a whole lot of good. But, but he, did, he did come out knowing something. Uh, so we, we come at some point in time, just like this, this man I, I mentioned in Ukraine that had been witness to, and he made a choice. Uh, he, he was told that um, there's a gift that is offered. It's eternal life. But we have to choose it. And he made a choice to accept it. And uh, um, we all need to make that choice at some time. So let's uh, get started here on the text. And we want to focus on what Luke has to say to us. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. So this is God's word to us. So 23, 1 through 7, I'll read. Then the whole body of them got up and brought him, that is Jesus, before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found the man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ a king. So Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, it is as you say. Then Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no guilt in this man. But they kept on insisting, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee even as far as this place. When Pilate heard it, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod who himself also was in Jerusalem at that time. So, um, the Sadducees had questioned Jesus um, in our lesson last week. Kerry went, uh, went through this. So, f- from 66 through 71, uh, they had brought Jesus before themselves, and they asked him some questions. Uh, they said in 67 of 22, if, I tell, uh, or, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the, of the power of God. And they said, they all said, are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, yes, I am. Well, that's all the information they needed. If Jesus, this phony in their eyes, says he's the son of God, uh, th- that's what they, they're going to, they're going to get him killed. That's all they needed. And so they ended the whole thing right there and they brought him to Pilate. So what are the charges that they bring up? And here we see the master of lies and spin. They had a coach. Their coach was Satan, and uh, they were they were ready to use his uh, crafty devices. So two says, and they began to accuse him, saying, "We found this man misleading our nation." 
This is God. He's misleading the nation. That's the first charge. The second charge is he's forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying, he's forbidding to pay taxes to Caesars. That's the second charge. Was that tr true or lie? It was a lie. Jesus said, pay taxes to whom taxes are due. The third one was forbidding or, uh, and saying that he himself is Christ the king. And here we see a spin. Yes, he said he was king. He explained what that meant. But what, what is their interest? They want Pilate to believe that this guy is conducting insurrection. He's, he's a rebel. He's going to cause rebellion against the Roman government. And uh, that, that'll be reason enough for Rome to take him on and have him executed. So Pilate asked him, saying, are you king of the Jews? And um, Pilate isn't a guy that gets real high marks as a politician or a government official. But at least here, he sees through their accusation and he, he doesn't ask anything about, is Jesus a, a one who is, is, is causing insurrection, is trying to stir up insurrection against the Roman government? He says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him and said, it is as you say. Well, that's that. That's okay with the Roman government. They don't have a problem with that. Then Peter said to the chief priests in the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they kept on insisting, saying he stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. Oh, when Pilate heard this, you know, he, he's, he was always irritated by the Jews. They were, they were so... Uh, up, they just—they were upsetting to him, and so now he has an out. Oh, he's from Galilee. That's not my jurisdiction. So I'll send him over to Herod. Herod happens to be in town. Herod has has jurisdiction up in Galilee, so I'll, I'll get him out of my hair. Get him over there, and Herod can take care of him. So eight. Now Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus. For he had wanted to see him for a long time because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some signs performed by him. And he questioned him at some length, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes were standing there accusing him vehemently. And Herod, with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. Now Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day and before they had been enemies with each other. So uh, what, what did Herod, he, he wanted to see him, why? He wanted to see a magic show. Little he wanted to be entertained, that's all he was interested in. And Jesus didn't uh, comply with what he was interested in and so he just passes him off to the soldiers and they mistreat him and mock him. 
And then he sends him back to Pilate. And I, I find it interesting that uh, Herod and Pilate became friends at that time. And uh, I, I'm not sure why, really, but um, neither one of them had great love for the Jews. And uh, they, they probably um, had a common enemy here with the Jews, and so they're, they're friends. Thirteen. Pilate summoned the chief priests and the elders, and, and chief priests and the rulers and the people, and said to them, "You brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, I have examined him before you. I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him." So, how many times has he said he's not guilty? Well, he said it twice, and Herod said it once. So now we're three times, not guilty. No, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us. Behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. Now he was obligated to release to them at the feast one prisoner. And so um, he, he figures, he was really hoping that Herod would deal with the issue, but Herod didn't, and so it's back in his court. And so um, what he's going to do now is he's going to just he's beat him, and, and uh, maybe they'll feel sorry for him, and, and that'll be enough. 18. But they cried out together, saying, Away with this man, and release for us Barabbas. He was one who had been thrown into prison for insurrection, made in a city and for murder. So he, he, was, he did cause an insurrection and murder. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept calling out, saying, Crucify, crucify him. And he said to them the third time, Why, what evil has this man done? I've found in him no guilt demanding death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. So now, he's not guilty. Herod says he's not guilty. Pilate says he's not guilty. Pilate says again, not guilty. I'll punish him and release him. But they were insistent with loud voices asking that he be crucified. And their voices began to prevail. And Pilate pronounced sentence that their demand be granted. And he released the man they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, but he delivered Jesus to their will. And so, how, how ironic. He takes God, and, and, and he's going he's gonna to send him to the cross, and he releases the one who had caused insurrection and murder. 26. When they led him away, they seized a man, Simon Cyrene, coming from the country and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. And following him was a large crowd of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. 
Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things, then the tree is green. What will happen when it is dry? So they're on the, on the way to the cross, and the women are following and are um, weeping. And so he comforts them, but he tells them, uh, don't cry for me, uh, but rather uh, cry for the days that come. And he says, blessed in 29, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that are never nursed. And what he's doing here is he's looking forward to time in the tribulation period. He had already told them in Luke 21:23, Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people. What uh, Jesus is talking about here in, in Luke 20, 21 is the same thing that we've been learning Sunday in Matthew 24. That there, this tribulation period, there's going to be great uh, problems and um, hope that you're not pregnant during that time or nursing babies because you're going to have to run out. And in Ukraine, we saw pregnant women trying to get out. Uh, they're carrying some of them out on stretchers. Um, you know, that's just a... A small thing as compared to what's going to happen in the tribulation period. And Jesus just warns them about that. Uh, there are going to be difficult times to come. And then he, he mentions after that what's going to happen uh, also in the tribulation. In Revelation 6, 15 through 17 talks about this. It says, and they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand. And so we've seen wars and rumors of wars through history. But in this tribulation period, it's going to be intensified and um, Jesus is just warning them about that. There's worse to come. And then in 31, he gives a proverb that apparently was used often in those days. Um, it says, for if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? And what Jesus is saying is, if they take an innocent person like me and treat me like this, Imagine how they would treat somebody that was actually guilty of something. Um, governments have great power. And God is the one who gave us governments. And they also bring great blessings and protection to society. But when Satan gets in there and starts stirring things up, uh, they, they, can, they can do horrible things. And you know, we, we've seen this throughout history. We're seeing it in Ukraine now, we, and uh, in the tribulation period, it's going to be intensified. I mean, this is nothing. Imagine what it will be then. 32. 
Two others also were criminals who were being led away so to be put to death with him. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him and criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by, looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuked him, said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve from our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so here at the end is a great example of positive volition. He knows the way. He chooses the right way. In 33, it says, when they came to the place called the skull. And um, some of your translations may say Calvary. Calvary is a Latin word for the skull. And um, so it comes out of the, the Latin Vulgate and was translated in King James. And I think New King James probably still has it called, called Calvary. But it means the skull. And so um, there's, there are two locations where they think um, one or the other, the, his tomb was in Jerusalem. Uh, one is... Um, the church of, you remember what it says, it escapes me now. The, the church of the Holy Sept, Sepulcher, that's what, the church of the Holy Sepulcher, of course. And, uh, and then the other one is called Gordon's Skull, and, and, um, the, the, or Gordon's Tomb. And this one uh, is the one that we usually see when we go there. There's a, kind of a, a rock cliff, and on that rock cliff, if you use your imagination a little bit, it looks like there's a skull in the rock. Well, it really doesn't matter which one it is. The fact is, Jesus was buried, and that's what's important. But um, pe people seem to think that these sites are going to give you some kind of spiritual boost or something. I don't know. So they want to go to the right place. Um well, you're familiar with the story here, and um, the, the criminals are, are hanging up there with him, with him, hurling abuse. But the one, uh, he is given volition, uh, just like we all are, and he's, he's thinking about it. And he uh, decides, no, for sure, uh, this is the Son of God. And in 42, he says... Jesus, remember me 
when you come in your kingdom. And so that, that's a clear evidence of faith in Christ. Uh, he knows he's going to come into his kingdom and he wants to be there with him. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. What a comforting promise that Jesus gave. This paradise is the same place as Abraham's bosom. If you remember back a few weeks ago, we were in Luke 16. In Luke 16, there's a rich man, a Lazarus. Remember that? And uh, Lazarus was the one who had trusted in God, had faith in God. And when he died, he went into Abraham's bosom, which, which is paradise uh, to be with God. And the rich man went into the place across the abyss, into Sheol or hell. 44. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance, seeing these things. And so Luke, in his own way here, doesn't have the detail of the other Gospels. But he just says in 42 that it was dark between the sixth hour, this is noon, and three o'clock. And darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour because the sun was obscured. So that's just a simple statement. It was dark. And this had to be a thing that you would take notice of. It's, it's a big deal when we see an eclipse of the sun, but three hours <laughs> in the middle of the day, uh, this gets attention. And then the veil was torn in two. And that veil is the access, it was the what prevented access between the people and God, and only the high priest could gain that access. So you, you were represented by the high priest before God. But that veil, that, that uh, thing that was separating, was torn in two. And then it says, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And I never thought about this until I was studying for this class, but when somebody dies and goes through the dying process, they, they go downhill the, the last few days. Uh, I observed this with both my mother and my father. And the hospice said, now here's what's going to happen. And, they, and it happened just like clockwork. But it wasn't a sudden thing. They got weaker, they got weaker, they got weaker. First they didn't eat, then they didn't drink water and... And, you know, as in hospice can tell you, <laughs> almost to the hour when they're going to pass away. But Jesus cried out with a loud voice. 
He's up on the cross. He can hardly get a breath of air. He was still strong to the very end. And into your hands, who commits his spirit? I commit my spirit. Jesus gave up his life. He gave up his life. And so his spiritual death happened during the darkness. That's when he paid for our sins. The, the bond between father and son was broken. Um, the wages of sin is death. That was, that was the death. He did that. And then that was completed. And then he cried out with a loud voice, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so his spirit left his body and um, the spirit was with God. Having said this, he breathed his last. And then, um, so we're, he's, the body's still on the cross and the centurion is there and what does he do? He, according to 47, he praises God. So he's converted, saying, certainly this man was innocent, but he's praising God. That's the important thing. And then he steps back. So Luke, Luke is looking at the cross, the centurion, then he steps back from the centurion. And all the crowds who came together for the spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. And so they had come to see a show and all of a sudden, uh, I'm sure they were saying, wish we had not been here. This, this is really disturbing. Uh, so they're beating their breasts, which was a sign of, of um, distress. And all his acquaintances and women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance seeing the, these things. And so he steps back then from the crowds. And here are Jesus' disciples and um, they're, they're just aghast. They're, this had to be the worst day of their life. 50. And a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action. A man from Arimathea, city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. And this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen cloth and laid it in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever lain. It was the preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And you'll see uh, Luke making more references to women here than the other gospel writers. So this uh, this man, was uh, he was part of the of the Sanhedrin, but he had not uh, voted to have Jesus condemned. So he asked for the bodies, given the body. Uh, he puts him in the grave. The women see this. They know where the grave is. And uh, the thing that strikes me here is that God, he, he always plans everything out to, to the minute. And Jesus got, he, he was going to be in the grave parts of three days, right? He had to be, it was, it, was, it was prophesied. So before sundown on Friday, he's put in the grave. The women see that. 
they know where to go the, the, the um, Sunday morning. And um, they, they go back and they prepare for anointing his body. 56. Then they returned and prepared spices, spices and perfume. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the command. So they, they got everything ready. What were the men doing? Who knows? Probably wringing their hands. But the women were doing what women do. They were taking care of things, keeping everything running. So, um, 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which had been prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So what did they expect to do when they came? They expected to anoint the body. How would they get into the tomb? They didn't worry about that. What were the men doing? Who knows? They were, they were still wringing their hands. Four. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. So these are angels, clearly. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. So they had the full picture that Paul talked about. He died, he was buried, and what's the third one? He rose again. They got it. And, and then they remembered. Yes, he talked about this. And so... You know, we learn things, and it goes up here in our brain. Um, the, the Bible, had, or the Greek has a word for that. It's called gnosis, to know. So they had learned the facts, but they didn't really understand those facts, did they? But now they understood those facts. It was transferred from knowing it up on the shelf someplace to getting it into their soul so it can be used. And the Greek word for that is epinosis. So it had gone from gnosis to epinosis. And that, that's an important thing. That's, that's when we, we learn the word of God and we say, yes, that I believe. Then it's something that you can use. That's, that's the faith acceptance of that knowledge. Just the knowledge of it doesn't do you any good. Ten. Now they, now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Also, the other women were with them, were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. <laughs> so they knew the dead part, they knew the buried part, but they weren't buying the rose again part. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. Peter still didn't get it. He was just perplexed. That's all. 13. 
Now, um, all of a sudden, we, we, uh, Luke takes us to a different scene. And uh, I'll read through, eight, read through 16 here. It says, And behold, two of them are going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. So uh, how far, how long does it take to go seven miles? Well, if you're in good health, you maybe walk three miles an hour. So two and a half hours, two hours, three hours, something like that. We don't know when Jesus came to them, but they were, they were probably out of the busy part of Jerusalem on the way to the village that they lived in. And they're talking about everything that had happened. 17. And he said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still looking sad. So they're walking. This guy comes up. He says, what are these things you're talking about? It just blew them away. How could anyone not know what they're talking about? One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? You know, it would be like somebody in Ukraine. So there, there are two people walking along talking about the war, and this guy comes up and he says, What war? <laughs> you would say... Where do you come from? <laughs> 19. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. I want to stop right there. We were hoping that it would be him who would redeem Israel. And, if they had, and their thought was, and we were really disappointed. They wanted redemption from Rome, not redemption from sin. He had redeemed them from sin, which was far more important. So... Uh, but continuing on now, indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. Okay, something about this third day. But also some women among us amazed us when they went to the tomb early in the morning and did not find the body. They, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was what? He was alive. But these two guys, nobody believed it. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said. But he, they did not see. So they didn't believe it. 25. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and to enter his glory? And when he said foolish men, that's one word. It means 
uh, someone who lacks understanding. 27, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going further. But they urged him, saying, stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Uh, This this is the greatest Bible class that anybody has ever had, um, taught by Jesus. And you know what? We're going to be taught by him for all eternity. It's going to be unbelievable. But what he did here is he went back to what the prophets had been teaching all through the Old Testament. He walked them all through it. And um, and there and, and this for them was all gnosis. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. But then... He took bread and 30, and he broke it and began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished out of their sight. It's just, it's just amazing. To me, this is the, one of the most amazing stories in the Bible. So what had happened? Well, they got a Bible class. The Bible class came to a close. And fools became wise in an instant. Fools became wise. What was their part? Positive volition. They just had, yes, they made the choice. Yes, this, this is truth. Uh, gnosis became epinosis. In Colossians 1.9, Paul makes a great prayer. And he prays for the Colossian believers. That, that, that they would increase in the knowledge of his will, and knowledge is happiness, that they would increase in the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and understanding. And that should be our prayer for ourselves and for those around us, that we would do that. So you start that by reading the Bible, by studying the Bible, by going to Bible class, and building that basis of faith so when the tests come, the trials come, and we all have them, uh, you can act on the truth of the Word of God. Okay, well, we've got to move along here. Um, 36? No. 32. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. 
while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands, my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for the spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. So we get some insight here to what our new bodies are going to be like. Flesh and bones. (laughs) While they were still could not believe it, Because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of boiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Uh, Who doesn't like to eat? It looks like we can eat uh, with the new body. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And here, um, Luke gives some insight into what he's going to write in his next book, the book of Acts, which is this very thing that here's the gospels given in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. That's the Holy Spirit. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. What's the power from on high? The Holy Spirit, which they will get at Pentecost, the beginning of the church age. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. So Paul said, I'm going to give to you of first importance, which I received. And that is that Christ died, according to the scriptures, and was buried and rose on the third day, according to the scriptures. So there's, there's this great uh, spiritual truth here in these two chapters. And I want to move back to the rending of the, of the veil back in 23, at the end of 23, it's verse 45. Uh, the writer to the Hebrews refers to this. In Hebrews 10:15 through 22, so I think we can get it up here on the screen. Hebrews 10:15 through 22. What's that? Hebrews. 
<laughs> okay. The Holy Spirit, or the Word of God is infallible. I'm not. (laughs) Okay. I copied the wrong thing into my notes. So, uh, this is the right one that's up here. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us for this saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my hearts, I will put my laws upon their heart and on their minds. I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lost deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest, great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience And our bodies washed with pure water. So what happened when that veil was rent? We got access directly to God. And through Christ. Uh, That's what it says here. um, In 19. Therefore brethren since we have confidence to enter the holy place. The Jews could not enter the holy place could they? And we can enter that holy place. This is the new covenant that he gave to us. And um, starting with, with Pentecost, when one trusts Jesus Christ as Savior, he takes our heart of stone out and gives us a heart of flesh. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell us. And we can now understand the truths that we read and learn and transfer by faith uh, to our soul to make it usable. So the gnosis becomes epinosis, um, and we're able to use it. But we have to make that volitional choice. I'm going to use it. I am going to use the Word of God. I'm going to believe the Word of God. Uh, The men had a great retreat last week, the weekend before last, and were challenged in their faith, to apply their faith to life. And that's good. But it, it's not good unless you use that positive volition every day. And so perseverance is a thing in the Christian life. And that's where we have great victory. So we go through tests. The tests are for building our faith, right? If we don't have tests, we have a weak faith. But we have tests in life. And uh, one pastor said, you have the test of the mosquito first before the test of the elephant. And, and that's what happens in life. The tests don't get any easier. But um, hopefully we learn to trust God to get us through those. And our faith builds and we have great joy in our life. So... Uh, With that, we'll close, and then uh, Tom has...
some music and some announcements. Our Heavenly Father, um, we were privileged to go through the most important events in human history, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your plan of salvation. We thank you for the new covenant. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. Father, we just pray that we would every day make the choice to follow you, to be obedient to you. We praise you for all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's end by worshiping our resurrected Lord. Perfect in love, here you are, robed in majesty and light. Like the Lord Most High Great is the one Who would leave A throne room for a cross All for love All glory to God alone Praise to the one who gave it all Name above all names, King Jesus, King Jesus, all glory to God alone. Praise to the one who holds the throne. Name above all names, King Jesus, King Jesus. Imperfect lives. At your feet, finding mercy in your eyes. How far from this place we would be, God, without your sacrifice. Great is the grace that would reach Across the great divide to bring us life. All glory to God alone. Praise to the one who gave it all. Name above all names. King Jesus, King Jesus. All glory to God alone. Praise to the one who holds the throne. Name above all names, King Jesus, King Jesus. High above all names, King Jesus, King Jesus. He's the name above all names, King Jesus. Amen. It reminds you of what... 2 Corinthians 1.3 says that we, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Everyone said, Amen. Praise Jesus. We'll see you on Sunday. 
Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.